Bible Podcast. We hope today's message ignites, equips, and challenges you to live out your Christian faith and to bring healing to a broken world. this morning and I want to encourage you with is the blind man believes and I want you to catch the end of what Jesus asked the man today because I believe what Jesus asked him he asked us he asked you so I've said the scriptures the Bible is not a story of what happened long ago but a story of what is always happening so make it personal it says now when they came to Jericho I didn't give them to you in the back, but it's Mark chapter 10, verse 46 through 52. Mark 10, 42 through 52, 46 through 52. Now they came to Jericho. As he went out of Jericho with his disciples, there was a great multitude. And there was blind Bartimaeus, and he sat by the road begging. You ever been in a crowd of people? You feel you're not seen, you're not noticed. There's noise. And sometimes we can think, like Bartimaeus, what we're going to see is that I'm not seen, I'm not heard. Does God care? He's too busy dealing with the affairs of the world. Why does he care about my little thing or my moment? But it says he's begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus son of David, have mercy on me. He's crying. He's reaching out. We've been talking. Deliverance is not for the nice, clean-cut little church. Deliverance is for the desperate. We see Bartimaeus here is desperate. He says, Jesus, I don't know if you can hear me. I'm sitting in the corner. There's multitudes. But he hears of Jesus passing. He sees of Jesus passing, and he cries out, and he says, have mercy on me. What do we do? This is what a religious spirit will do. And says that many warned him to be quiet. Shut up. You're not important right now. Jesus is on a journey. He's on a mission. Be quiet. And so when Jesus heard it, because Jesus hears the voice of faith. He hears when there's desperation. He hears when you're serious. He hears when we really mean this is the air I breathe. This is the place I live in, that I'm desperate for you, that I'm lost without you. So Jesus stood still and notice that Jesus deals in stillness. Many times we're like this and all over the place where Jesus, be, peace be still. Jesus deals in stillness, calmness. So Jesus stood still and commanded him, to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling for you. And throwing aside his garment, because when Jesus comes to your home, whatever's holding you back, you completely forget about. It's it's now becoming a part of your past. So he throws his garment off. And he comes to Jesus. And hear this in verse 51, because this is for you today. As we go into this series on sacred rhythms. So Jesus answered and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? I think sometimes we can think God's this interpersonal deity that Jesus doesn't really care. He's not close. 
But when there's this closeness in this relationship and this secret place that we're gonna talk about today, Jesus meets you in your infirmity. He meets you in your blindness. He meets you in what is holding you bondage. And it's as almost, it's a confession of faith when Jesus says to you, what do you want me to do for you? He wants to hear you say it. He wants to hear you be honest. He wants to hear you come clean. What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. I love it here too because it's, it's what we've been talking about, that a touch of God sets you free, but the teachings of Jesus keep you free. He was touched, eyes opened, future changed, delivered. But then we see now he follows him. When God touches you and it's absent of then discipleship, following him, not just going back to your old life, this is never what happens when Jesus touches you or meets with you. And as we talk of today, it's along the realms of how do we arrange ourselves for consistent spiritual transformation in our life? That it's not about just getting a spark. It's not about just a one-time thing. But when you develop a secret place, you develop a place where you can go and you can hear the voice of say, what do you need today? And there's this relationship, there's this connection, there's this closeness, there's this intimacy, this into me that he sees everything and anything. Fear isn't there because there's perfect love. And if you're gonna sustain, if you're gonna be, have vitality in your faith, you've gotta have a place of where you're being transformed. Not conforming to what's around you, but you are being transformed. If you'd bow your head for a moment and let's go before the Holy Spirit this morning. His presence is here. I've titled the message today, Breathing Room. Some of us need some breathing room. If you right where you're at, can you just take a deep breath? Inhale and exhale. You might need to nudge your neighbor and say, you need to move because I'm getting some breathing room today. Jesus, we thank you, Holy Spirit. Yes, you're our comforter. You're our healer. Jesus, we thank you that when we meet you, you give us some breathing room. You let baggage get off of us. Bondage is destroyed. That which torments us is destroyed. Father, we want to be free people because this is our portion. This is what you've called us to. Holy Spirit, we ask you today, as we open the scriptures, that you would give us sight where we've been blind, that you would give us healing where we've been sick in our minds, sick in our bodies. God, that as we arrange our lives for you to move, for you to do what you do best, to be consistent with you, to be faithful with you, to be steadfast with you, God, that transformation be the normal experience of our walk. We love you, Holy Spirit. Have your way in this place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, you can be seated. And you're welcome to take notes. And as we get into the scriptures today, we wanna welcome everyone online as well. And thankful that you're here. And we've spent the better part of four months of going along the topic of walking in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Anybody get 
free during that series. You get some truth deep down and embedded in you. I pray you did. If you didn't, go watch it all again in your free time because you missed it. You know, I'm a, of the belief and of the understanding as we've been talking about is, especially last week, is that lukewarm Christianity is disgusting to God. And any parts of our lives that are, are lukewarm, where we're not hot, where we're not cold, it's not up to God for God to deal with. It's up for us to take it serious and address the messes that we've created in our lives, whether in ignorance or maybe it's something that's been handed to us or given to us, our lot in life, how we've been raised, how we've grown up, generational things. And so as we've really focused on the deliverance portion and how we walk in dominion, then you have to begin to say, in this new life in Christ, I now have to arrange my life for spiritual transformation. Think of your home. You don't set your kitchen up like a bedroom. There are specific rooms that have intended function, use, and purpose and utility. And as you arrange your walk with God... There's right things and there's wrong things. Some of us have a kitchen in our bedroom when that's never what it was intended to be. And if we are not alert, vigilant, aware, awake to how we're arranging our lives, how we're arranging the rhythms, how we're moving and walking and having our being in Christ, then a little bit of the world, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, where your life is so compartmentalized that there's nowhere for Christ to be the focus and for him to be the center. I was, uh, came across this story, and it's from a, uh, an old Russian nobleman, and his name was uh, Potikin, and uh, what's known uh, famously as the Potikin Village. And what this is, is um, there was a, a quota that he had to fulfill when the queen would come into the, the territory that he was to colonize, um, there had to be enough um, colonization, livestock, shelter, homes, that when she comes, there, there would be an expectation that you've taken the resources, you've taken the people, and, there, and there's something to show forth. Well, with bad weather, bad crops, and um, low expectations, uh, the story would come to show that he devised a plan to create a facade. So uh, the story would show, if you look up, uh, go and look it up, he planned out the routes that this queen would come, how she would come into the city. And Potikin would then take these facades and put these structures up on stilts, would take this, the, the animal skins and, and, and make them look as though it was real, and plan the routes of where this queen was. So when she would come into the town, she would think there was all this colonization that took place. And then they would take, once she passed through, they would strip it all down and run it to the other side of, of the town and reconstruct it and catch the other port of where she would come in. And as I was looking at this, it, it made me think of, as we arrange our lives, how much do we focus on the facade versus the character? How much do we focus on the reputation or what people think of us versus who we really are? And today, before we get into the nitty-gritty. Next week, we're going to talk about how to eliminate a spirit of worry and hurry. But this week, we've got to look at of who is our true self in Christ, and what are the parts of our lives where it is a facade, 
What have we propped up on stilts to hide from that which is our real reality? How do we go to these elaborate ways to hide the undesirable parts of our life? Maybe you've met someone online or got a part of, became a part of an online group or whatever your first connection with someone is online. Maybe it's online dating if you've been in that camp. And then you get to the, uh, the dinner table or you get to the meeting table and you, you see the person for the first time in flesh and blood. And the first thought that comes to you is they were very good at Photoshop, <laughs> right? They look a little different. They sound a little different than what your online persona was. And I think what is, we've got to be so careful in the day and age we live in is we're so good at, at curating what people see out here, but it's rotten on the inside in here. Churches are very good at curating what's out here versus what's in here. Families, we, we put on our church face, right? We put on our church clothes, but what's in here is dysfunctional. So to arrange first, Christ can never heal what we conceal. We've got to be able to bring it forward and to trust him in the process of it and not just get in the pressure cooker of expectation and give people what they want to see. And this is something that uh, just personally is I understand that um, my wife, my children, uh, they have one father and one husband. There's thousands of preachers. So I will never neglect what is first and foremost in my life, my home, my marriage, my children, for the sake of having some stage or some platform. Because if that's not good, this is just a performance. And so if we can flip it on its head and go back to what really matters, what's really important, not what gets clicks, likes, not what um, gets people's attention and is performance-driven, not put the facade up, but really care for what is internal, what is your inner life. Because we all have an inner life and an external life, and it's easy just to focus on the externals. But we're called in Christ to focus on what's inside. You know, I, I, I put this down too as Unfortunately, some of the best actors don't exist in Hollywood, but they can exist in the church, right? We, we hear the term hypocrite, and originally it was never to be negative, but you put one face on here and another face on there. You're just going through life acting and, and putting on a show, putting on a, a fake smile, doing faking it till you're making it in every part of your life. And so much of this has just creeped into how we exist as Christians, and this is never how it's supposed to be. And Jordan, if you bring me down a little bit, I feel like I'm yelling. I'm a soft talker, so um, if I do yell, then I'll meet the volume level that's pleasing to your ears. Um, but I was thinking, and I, I talked about this a few weeks ago, is um, we are what we hide. We are what we hide. Everyone's hiding something, whether we're hiding good things or we're hiding bad things. You think of two characters in the Bible specifically. One was Rahab the prostitute, and other, the other was Achan the soldier. Rahab the prostitute, um, you would think, would be hiding bad things or wrong things, but the purpose of God comes to her and requires her, asks of her, to hide the two spies. Where we see Achan, who was a 
noble soldier, had the potential of a promising future. Um, But Rahab, as she faced doom, Achan had a promising future. But hear this, Rahab hid the two spies where Achan hid the cursed things. So what you got to understand here is what you hide is who you are. You know, I've, I've come to find as, as well, I was thinking back uh, in our kid days when life was busy and crazy. I have two brothers and there was a part where mom and dad were both working full time. And you know how it is when both parents are working, school schedules, sports schedules, sometimes the house can just get a mess, especially our rooms. And mom and dad, they kept a clean home and a tidy home and put the pressure on us that we got to keep our, you know, our rooms clean. We got to keep the playrooms clean, the garage clean, all those things. And again, you're talking to three boys, so good luck. Um, So when life was real busy, we had some help just to to keep the, the house clean. And there was a certain day that the help would come to really do the fine tuning of cleaning. So, uh, we come to find that this is, this is awesome that there's somebody coming into our house to clean the house. This is, this is amazing. We don't have to do anything anymore. Well, we learned very quickly that there's a pre-clean before the real cleaning takes place. So all the clothes on the floor, guess what? They're not picking that up. All your toys, whatever, uh, that was, um, you know, on a, another part in the playroom, whatever, that's not getting picked up. So what do you do as, as uh, us, and me and two brothers, is we decide, instead of cleaning it, you throw it in the closet, you shove the clothes under the bed so that it appears to be clean, right? I think we've all been there in some way, shape, or form. So that then when, you know, it's ready to be vacuumed, it's ready to be dusted, it, it's all ready to go, um, but the thing I've come to find is just because you think you're cleaning something, I've learned this along the way, we would think we're cleaning something, but we're actually hiding what we're actually cleaning, what we think we're cleaning. And many times when it comes to walking with God, we think that he's cleaning us, we're partnering with him, but all we're doing is just hiding it for long enough so that the aesthetic is there, the facade is there, and it's just enough for the floor to get vacuumed. But then when you walk into it and you look under the bed and you get in the closet, nothing has been cleaned at all. And I think we live this way. And when you think about the reality of it, here's the big idea, is where does God live? Does he live in the facade? Does he live in the public parts of our life? He lives in the private parts. He lives in the secret place. So the very place we want to get strength and authority and anointing and power, we're just shoving and we're hiding all the muck and all the junk and all the stuff in. And then when God comes to make a home in us, there's no place for him to go. But it looks good on the outside, but there's no place for him to get into the nitty gritty, to really build something of purpose. So we've got to understand in building this secret place um, that as, we've, as we were singing today, that God rewards the faithful parts. God rewards the quiet parts. God rewards the private things you do. And here's the thing about building a secret place is it's, it's private prayer, it's private fasting, it's private generosity, it's doing things behind the scenes that pastor, your parents, your friends aren't sitting there applauding for the things you're doing. 
And what you've got to understand is he sees it all. And I thank God for the private eye of God who rewards that which is done in secret when nobody else does. And the temptation can be to just do what gets people's attention, what looks good in a, in a social post versus doing the hard thing and the hard work in the private part of your life. Because what you do in the private and what you do in the secret usually doesn't reap you in the moment. It reaps you a year from now, three years from now, five years from now. But what you hide in the present determines what your tomorrow looks like. And this is what we have to understand. And in the end with Rahab and Achan, Rahab's family was saved. Her family was rescued. And we know the story of Achan. There was destruction and family was destroyed. So what you hide matters and God rewards what you hide privately. We're gonna go old school. If you stand, we're gonna read a scripture together. So Colossians 1.10 is what I want us to see and we'll read it out loud. And uh, I wanna give you three points today of how you add some breathing room, how you get a secret place and how you begin to develop the private part of your life. Let's read this together that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Colossians 1.10. All right, you can be seated. Good job. <laughs> Woke a couple of you up. So if you keep that scripture up, Caitlin, three things we see. Number one is that there's a walk that is just as important as your work. That you gotta have a walk that many of us, again, on the externals, we wanna get to the work and neglect the walk. We wanna get to the success and neglect the private part that should then fuel what your work is, what your vocation is, what your calling is, what your assignment is, all of those things. But we can't neglect the walk. Scripture everywhere connects your walk to your work. And your walk many a times is who you are at home. I can remember early on, um, even just starting in ministry, is I had a lot of great ideas. I had a lot of things of who I thought I would be, who our church would be. And you want to reach a lot of people. You want to have a big church, you know, all the just external stuff. But then you go on, life sobers you up. You get kind of into the nitty-gritty, God refines your heart, and you look back and you thank God for unanswered prayers, and you thank God that he got your attention and he got your focus and what was important and what really matters. He sobered your zeal, and you thank God that he then puts things in place for simplicity, for peace. I'll take simplicity and peace over numbers and growth any day. And as we grow as a church, it's done in a spirit of simplicity and peace. And uh, what begins to happen, and, and really, I can even remember in, in 2017, 2018, when I started thinking through this, there was this big pandemic in the pulpit. A lot of evangelical pastors, if you remember, uh, there was just a wave of, of suicide, a spirit of suicide where pastors were taking their own lives, pastors of large churches, influential churches. And as you get into what the pressure is to perform, 
not just do one service, but two services, three services, four services, five services, and you're just outputting, 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 outputting. You're neglecting your family. You're neglecting your kids. You're never at home. You're, you're giving your, your kids and your family the scraps and what's left. All of that pressure cooker adds up. And that's just in, in the world of preaching, but everyone has a, has a place of where you're, you're giving and you're doing too much with, of the wrong thing and you're out of balance. And as men especially, it's easier to find success in your work than it is in your home. So a lot of men, they neglect the home, let the mother, let the wife mother or nurture the home, which it's, it's supposed to be a balance of that and everyone has their role based on what scripture teaches us. But we've got to understand that it's never supposed to be you give everything to your work and then you neglect your home. Again, your children and your spouse only have one husband, only have one father or vice versa. And so we can get in this place of where we see the broken parts of our life where we neglect. And the thing is with having the right walk, the walk should always fuel your work. So if your walk is right, then you can put the time into your work because you're not neglecting this to get the results over here. And so we've got to, to think through these things. And um, I, I like to put it this way too, is we can have, uh, we've got to be careful that you don't have an addiction to the spotlight parts in your life, but you're allergic to the altars in your life. You can't be addicted to where I only do just enough to what's seen or what gets me by or what promotes what I'm trying to do versus I then don't want to be humble and go to the place of the altar where really transformation takes place in my life. And we can't believe the lies that your walk doesn't matter, that what you do doesn't matter, how you're kind and, and for you, for Pentecostal, Holy Spirit, tongue-speaking people, you can speak in tongues, but if your mouth and home is not uplifting, I don't care that you speak in the Holy Spirit if the English coming out of your mouth doesn't line up with what a spirit-filled tongue should be. So this is where we see a hypocritical spirit that if I'm spiritual in the right places, but I'm neglecting my home and my family and my children. That's why the running joke in many church circles is stay away from the PKs, right? Sometimes the pastor's kids, they can, they can get a little rough. Pray for us. I got four. <laughs> but here's the thing. 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 13, I want you to see this. It says, now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, with silver, with precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Here's the thing. Whatever you're putting into your work that is produced from your walk, it will be tested when a circumstance comes, when a trial comes, when the fire comes, when you're put to the test, when the pressure pushes you to make a decision, good or bad, how you're building your life, when the storms of life come, it will be tested. And I want you to see the difference between how are you building your home? How are you organizing and arranging your life? How are you building your walk? Because gold, silver, and precious stones, you only get them underground. Wood, hay, and straw, they're on the ground. 
get them a little easier, a little less, less harder to find. Gold, silver, and precious stones, you get them in small quantities. Ladies, that's why the diamond on your finger is very small but very expensive. Right? Gold, silver, precious stones, they're expensive. But wood, hay, and straw, you get in large quantities and they're cheap. Gold, silver, and precious stones are rare. Wood, hay, and straw is common. Gold, silver, precious stones are purified by fire. But wood, hay, and straw is an insurance claim because it is destroyed by fire. Right? So as we are building our life, there, and I believe everyone would agree with me, there are people in our culture and our world that are paid a lot of money, corporations, institutions, to tell you and to tell me what we want to hear, how we should build our life, how we should consume, what we should buy, what we shouldn't buy, what will get us access in certain circles and in certain places, what will promote algorithms and get clicks and likes and all of these things. And so this is where discernment has to kick in, that that which is easy to attain is usually wood, hay, and straw. And what leaders, pastors, mentors in your life, they can never give you their secret place. I can't give this to you. You have to go and build it. You have to go take the, the gold, silver, and precious stones, and, and it's going to cost you something. And if you believe a cheap grace gospel, a grace that says you don't have to do anything, I just believe all the time, then you're never actually going to partner with the Holy Spirit for inner transformation where you become more like him because you're building yourself on wood, hay, and straw. And at the end of the day, it's tested how you build. And I know these aren't messages we like to hear, but it's the pivotal point to what makes or breaks a Christian now and when you stand at the judgment seat. So how you build now, the choices you make now have eternal implications. And this might be a, um, a shock for some of us, but eternity doesn't start when you die and leave your body. Eternity starts when you begin following Jesus. And so we've got to build with gold, silver, and precious stones. And I refuse to give you sermons and messages and programs that just get wood, hay, and straw out. It's easy. Let's build quickly. Let's build thin. Let's build cheap. Let's cut corners. And we're never called to cut corners on what is most important, and it's our soul. That's why the scripture says, why gain the whole world but lose your soul? Many Christians, they go want to gain everything else, but they neglect their soul. They neglect their spirit man. And when it goes in the fire is how you know how it's been built. You really don't know till the test comes. And God is good enough to bring tests in your life. You ever been touched with some sickness? You ever been touched with some suffering? You ever been touched with a prodigal child? You ever been touched with some conflict in your marriage? When those are tests of God to say, what are you building? What are you doing? Reevaluate, reassess, repent. We've got to build our life on that which is fireproof and flammable. Here's the truth is Christians can build on Jesus and for Jesus, but without Jesus. This is scary, and this puts the fear of God in me. Now, you can build on Jesus for him, but without him. But I want to build on Jesus, for Jesus, and with Jesus in everything I do. But it comes in focusing on the walk, 
not just on the work of what everybody sees. And I pray as, as you're in a church that what overflows from me, that you're just not impressed by a good message, but something is imparted to you because it's come from a place in my life. It's come from a place of prayer. It's come from a place of, of something. That's wood, or not wood, hay, and straw, but gold, silver, and precious stone. And this is for us as parents in your marriage, that your kids just don't see a fragment of something of who you are, but there's actually something imparted of value when you correct them. There's something imparted when you uh, encourage them, when they uh, need wisdom and you impart it. And it's not just some little flyby uh, stanza that you, you kind of lead your life by, but things are imparted from one generation to the next. And here's the thing, when things are refined, when the difficulty comes, it actually anchors you deeper. So when the refining comes, it makes you go deeper. It actually anchors you a little bit more. This is the beauty of it is you think the trial's gonna kill you, but it actually strengthens you because you saw how strong your God was in the process of it. And you saw that God's word never returns void when you build on him. Amen, Trell. You can be dry, you can be, or rather you can be in a wilderness and see everything that's dry around you but still flourish and you can be fresh. Wake up call, we live in a wilderness in 2023. There is nothing that this world has to offer that will give you anything of real long lasting value. Our world is spiritually bankrupt on so many levels. It's so inflated on everything from influence to platforms to talking heads telling us how we should live our lives and spend our money and and where we should live and how we should live. All of these things just to keep you drugged up to this system. But we've got to build a secret place. And understand this is it doesn't mean your job, what you get up and do, what you work with your hands. It can't be greed that drives you, but it has to be your walk to then where you go into your work and it's sanctified because your walk is right. And this is the place we've always got to check ourselves: That mammon, money is not our God, but it's a resource to serve him, to be generous and to build that which he's called us to do. So we've got to focus on our walk. If you put Colossians 1.10 again, you'll see number two is that it has to be fully pleasing to him. Don't you want to live a life that isn't just partially pleasing, just a little bit pleasing, but it's fully pleasing. We've got to be fully pleasing. And, and this leads us into, we've got to discover the win that God has decided or discover real spiritual godly success because it looks different than worldly success. And, and you've heard this and you know these things, but we've got to be reminded of how we're arranging or what we're, we're holding on to. And the way I always say is how you know something has you is if God were to touch it or that thing were to be removed out of your life, does it crumble you? Does it make you question your identity? Does it make you question your worth? Or can you just say, you know what? It's a new season, it's a new day, it's a new time that this thing doesn't have me, but my faith is anchored in him. So a new job can come and go, a new situation can come and go, a circumstance can happen, but I'm not gonna crumble and fail because that's not what I've anchored my success in. And the key is we've got to discover because God already has it laid out for you. You've just gotta go discover it. 
But I think we, we don't give God the place and we don't give ourselves the room to go and discover it because we've already decided what we want to do, how we want to live. Verse God says, I've already decided it for you. You've got to go discover it. And this is where this journey, and this is where it's exciting to, to move with God. And for some of us, a win is, is a healthy marriage, all good things, is a good job that we like, that we feel well appreciated in, that takes care of us. A win is maybe getting a bachelor's degree, a master's, a master's degree. And whatever your wins are in life, that's usually what decides your drive. So whatever you've put in the place of what you feel successful in is then where you backtrack and you see this is now what is driving me. And so that's where you've got to be sober in your drive and making sure that wherever your desire is, wherever your drive is, that it's not leading you away from Christ, but it's leading you deeper in Christ. And then as a result, there is fruit in your life in whatever vocation you feel God has led you in. And this is why it's so tough is you graduate high school and then you're expected to know what you want to spend $100,000 on the next four years on with student loans and a college degree. And this is what is pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. And uh, I was thankful because I personally did not feel ready for college when I graduated. I took a gap year, was a part of an internship, found my purpose, my, my uh, assignment, and just was able to focus on my walk before I got into a, to my work. And so when you're at points of transition in your life, you don't just rush into work because you want to keep busy hands Focus on the walk first so that your work can then be fruitful and you're not just shooting at the wind or you're not changing your vocation every few months or changing a church every few years, whatever it is. Maybe your win in life is to be happy, to be healthy, to have, you know, whatever success. And again, we got to look at John 17, 4. This is what Jesus said. He said, I have glorified you on earth And I have finished the work which you have given me to do. I think the goal should all to be like Jesus here, that we glorify God with our bodies on this earth, with what he's assigned us to do, and that there be a sense of finishing the work which God has called us to do. This is where I honor my grandmother, Pastor Joyce, that she finished her race, and what her ceiling was became all of ours floor of what we're building on. And there's no greater joy than to, to, than to build upon something that somebody else, um, that they glorified God in. And this is how it should be from one generation to the next. And maybe you weren't handed something, but um, whatever you start with, do it for your kids. Do it for your grandkids to give them something of God. And that was the greatest thing that she gave us, that my parents have given me. It will never be stuff or or whatever, but it's always a a relationship with Jesus and knowing the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing how to sustain when all hell comes against you, knowing how to be resilient, to absorb the punches and actually come back stronger. Those are invaluable things. Hebrews 12, one through two says this, that it's a race, it's a marathon. You know this. It says, therefore we also, since we are surrounded By a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance. What does it say? The race that we've decided? It says the race that is set before us. Again, we've got to discover what the race is. 
and we run it. And, and God will put uh, leaders, he'll put wisdom around you, he'll put people around you, all of those things to help you uncover things. But ultimately, it is found in the secret place. And if you do not have a secret place with Christ, if you don't have breathing room where you can hear the heartbeat of Jesus, then you're going to keep missing what God has for you. I'm telling you, this is the place of where you find ultimate fulfillment and where everything should be birthed out of, where you discover the race that is set before you. And how do we do this? We've got to look unto Jesus. He is the author. He is the finisher who for joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He is committed. You are his joy. When he was on the cross, he thought of you. He wanted you. He wanted to save you. That was his joy. That was his focus. That's how he endured the pain because of the freedom that you and I would experience from sin and from bondage. We've got to ask ourselves, what am I doing? How am I doing it? Is my walk leading to good work? Is it wood, hay, and stubble? Or is it precious stones, gold, and silver? And Corey, if you help me close with my last point here, uh, I want to give you this. If you put Colossians 1.10 back up. So it's about your walk. It's about fully pleasing him. And then it's being fruitful in every good work. I don't want to be successful. I want to be fruitful. Real godly success is fruitfulness. When people say, oh, you're just so blessed or, oh, you just, you're successful. No, fruit. I don't want people just to see a gift on my life. I want people to see the fruit of my life. Again, the walk and the work, the work a lot of the times is the gift. The walk is the fruit. The fruit should always precede the work. The fruit should always precede the gift. And this leads us to, we've got to abide before we ever abound. If you want to abide, if you want to be strong, if you want to have something that lasts in your life, that is concrete, that is built on Christ, if you want to be fruitful, you have to abide to the vine. You've got to abide to the vine. We can't exchange a healthy inner life again, for just uh, a facade that is propped up and that looks good on the outside. But we want to be fruitful in every good work. You know, we see the rise of, of artificial intelligence, AI, right? We see augmented reality. We see all of all this talk of, of machines and the role and the place of machines and where they take their place and how we're to kind of coexist with all this stuff. And what we have to understand is you are not a machine. The expectation on God for you is that you just don't produce, 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 where you never rest, you never have genuine relationships and authentic connection with your children, with your family, with your spouse, where our world just says, as long as you're producing, you're a value. And when you no longer produce, if that machine no longer is produced, then you're thrown away or you're replaced. But again, you're never called to be a machine. You're not a human doing. You are a human being. And what I'm telling you today is wherever the place of your life where you have forsaken rest, that's why we even see the biblical creation model is he worked six and there was rest for one. You should have rhythms and, and ways of where you are resting 
And again, it's just not vegging out on your binging your favorite Netflix series, but you are resting with purpose and you are resting in Christ. This should be a form of rest for you today. You're being filled with the word. You're nurtured on the word. That there is a rest of where if you're blessed to have your family in church or whatever it is that your, uh, your kids are being filled over in children's church and all of the things of that what rest can produce. And it's similar to the tithe. That we believe that we can do more with 90% that is blessed, right? Than 100% that is cursed. There's this spiritual law that exists of when you focus on the walk, when you have these rhythms of correct rest and work, that God can do, take your natural and do something supernatural in it. But we just think we've got to squeeze everything we have and we've got to be so in control and so tight-handed and we justify this and we justify that instead of just trusting in God and trusting in what his word says. So fruit comes from abiding. Your life should look more like a garden, not a factory. It should look like a garden. Do you walk with Christ in the cool of the day like Adam and Eve did? Do you enjoy the fruit of your life? There's work to be done. They had to go and name the animals. There was dominion. There was all of those things you see. But it was done from a place of having a walk with God. Your work should flow from your worship. Your work should look like worship. Raising your children and the hard work that is should be worship. Loving your spouse, working through things should be worship. When you go into your job tomorrow, it should look like worship because you're doing it unto him. He's your source, not your boss. Whatever it is, he's your source and it should look like worship. You know, in the early church, in the first and second century, the model Christians were the martyrs. And the martyrs, you would see these early bishops and you would see these early, um, the apostolic leaders, that they would be thrown into these coliseums, put on a public spectacle, be eaten by beasts, be, give up uh, their lives for what they believed in and would be taunted for their faith. And, and we know that where we stand today, that, the, that the, um, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And you look at the model Christians where it was the, the martyrs in the first and second century, you get into the third century, it began to shift and change where the model Christians were monks, monasticism, aestheticism. The monks were primarily known for, they would go and drive themselves on purpose into the wilderness, into the caves to create solitude, to create a prayer life, and to create a place, to create a secret place where there was breathing room. And I think of today, who are the, who are the, the leaders that are emulated? It's the preachers and sneakers. It's the celebrity pastors. It's who's getting the most likes on social media. And again, take that for what you will. But as you go back to what was important in the attributes that were to be emulated, it was martyrs and it was monks. And I think this gives us a message and it should shake us a little bit of if it costs you something, that's usually a good thing. Because faith that is not costly, what kind of faith is that? And secondly, you've got to develop solitude 
and silence. You've got to develop an inner life to where you're connecting with the Lord. You can hear his voice. You can calm your mind from all the distractions and you can have the mind of Christ. These are lost attributes of the West. And if we can return to some of these things that Protestantism has drove out, where it's just about big, loud, productive, and we can have a church that actually wants to develop secret places in our lives, it's not cool, it's not exciting all the time, but it's what's important and it's what matters and what seals you and protects you and and cares for you. We see in Luke 5, 16, we see even Jesus himself that he often withdrew himself into the wilderness and he prayed. Some of you, you just need to unplug. You need to disconnect and you need to go into a wilderness and seek God. You haven't done it in years. You're in church every week, but you've never actually sought him in years. This is the sad reality, if I can just speak into that. Don't do it for a performance. Don't do it because what you're expected to do. Go with him, bring your scriptures, and ask the Lord to speak to you. Because those are some of the most powerful moments with you and him when a secret place is developed. Mother Teresa said this. She said, spend one hour a day in adoration of your Lord and never do anything you know is wrong and you'll be all right. One hour of adoration. Adoration before the Lord is powerful. When you seek him, he's your focus. He's your delight. He's your obsession. And you just adore the presence of God. And it's in that a walk begins to be strengthened. And it even, as we've talked about, you can walk in the spirit now and you won't fulfill all these external requirements that rob you and take from you, but you can walk into the externals of your life. You can be in the busyness, but your walk be shored up and secured. You can handle things from a place of rest and not you're so depleted because you've so left that secret place to produce. If you'd stand with me, I wanna pray. And we'll partake of Holy Communion together. You know, the way the enemy works is Satan and demons can never take anything from you. You need to know this. Satan and demons can never take anything from you. They can only take what you willingly give them. And what the enemy will do is he will deceive you. He will torment you. He will bait you. He will offend you so that you give him your joy and in place you take bitterness. He'll torment you so much where you give him your peace and then you take bondage. You take confusion. And so understand wherever your point of affliction is of spiritual warfare is that The enemy can only take what you give him, what you give him access to. But no, your authority is greater than any access he will ever have. And this is where you've got to raise a resistance. And as you raise a resistance, very practically, it can look like arranging your temple in the way scripture teaches us to. Not the way that's just easy, not the way that's comfortable, not the way that is palatable to you, but the way that is of gold, silver, and precious stones. 
Without abiding, we die on the inside. We starve those close to us. We deprive them. We even grieve the Holy Spirit. And today, can we make a decision as we just bow our heads and connect with the Lord for a moment? Can we make a decision that we want to abide, that we want to focus on our walk before our work and that we want to discover what he has, not decide in selfishness for ourselves. So Jesus, we just come before you before we partake of Holy Communion. God, we, we repent of sin, the things that can so easily ensnare us and entangle us. We want to discover and go after the race that you have set before us. It is the greatest adventure. It is the greatest thing to build a secret place, to get a little breathing room in our life. God, I pray where there's been struggle and there's been pain and there's been torment from our finances to our health, to relationships, whatever the category. God, we thank you that breathing room is coming into it because we're deciding today we're gonna abide before we ever abound. And we wanna be fruitful. We wanna be fully pleasing. We wanna walk with you before we ever try to go do something for you. So Jesus, I pray right now that you cleanse us of our sin, that you renew us in the Holy Spirit, that he is the bondage breaker. Shatter insecurity, shatter the facade, shatter the rottenness we're trying to hide out of fear of being exposed. Shatter the places of where we're addicted to the spotlights, we're addicted to the likes, but we are allergic to the altars that God wants us to build, where he wants us to bring sacrifice so that the fire of the Holy Spirit can consume that. We love you, Jesus. A desert father said this, strive with all your might to bring your interior activity into accord with God and you will overcome the exterior passions. Jesus, we want to strive to bring that which is inward and let it be from the inside out. That's how we live. And Jesus, I thank you as you're tearing down facades in your presence that we would be attentive to how you want to arrange our lives this week for spiritual transformation. to hear from you. You can email your prayer request to prayer at gpcky.com. Loving our podcast? Take a moment and like and subscribe on our YouTube channel to stay up to date with all of our new content. Thanks for listening.